come follow me. Three very simple words that change everything. Come follow me. A simple invitation to ordinary nobodies, fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and sinners like you and me. Come, follow me. And with those words, Jesus changed the world. He invited everyday ordinary nobodies like you and me into a life that we could never have on our own. A life we do not deserve, a life we cannot earn, a life of sitting at his feet where he is our teacher, the one from whom we learn all things. Come, follow me. A really simple invitation to lay down all of our lives, to surrender everything we thought we were about, and to simply learn how to be with God. God who has become man, taken on flesh to be with us forevermore. And so we dedicate our lives to following him, not just to believing in him, but to sitting at his feet, to learning from him, to being with him so that we over time become more like him. And as we become more like him, we do the very things he does. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We give up our lives for the sake of those who need it. We lay down all that we have and all that we are for the sake of others as he has done for us. Come, follow me. As I mentioned last week, unfortunately, for far too many of us, this invitation to come and follow Jesus comes with no cost. And here's what I mean by that. For far too many of us, for far too long, the church has taught, come and follow me simply means show up on Sunday morning, listen to a sermon, good, bad, or mediocre, it doesn't really matter, and then leave and go to brunch and call it good enough. But Jesus had so much more in store for you and me. He told those same disciples who he said, come and follow me, he said, this will cost you everything. But in me, you will find more than you ever give up. You will find life abundant in joy that does not make any sense. You will find reason to lay everything down and suffer and die for me. Come, follow me. This is an invitation of God. It's not an obligation. It's not something you have to do in order to earn salvation. No, it's simply, are you tired? Weary, worn out, eager for a life that is altogether different and better. Come, follow me. Today in scripture we hear the words of one man who heard that call and responded. Now a little clarifier, this man who heard this call did not hear it in that moment when Jesus said, come follow me to the original disciples. No, this man lived a life separate from God In the name of God. He lived a life eagerly doing all the right things. Meanwhile missing the mark entirely. See come follow me is not just for those of us whose lives are messy and we don't have it all figured out. It's also for those of us who think we know what we're doing. Who think our path and our way is the good and righteous and godly way. 
For those of us who think we can do this, he says, come and follow me. Specifically, the man that we're going to look at today and some of his journey in following Jesus is a man named Paul, who before he was Paul was Saul. He hated Christians and in godly righteousness went around killing Christians and imprisoning them because he believed the message they proclaimed of this simple invitation was contrary to Scripture. Jesus met him along the way, as Jesus has for many of us in the midst of our confusion or chaos. Jesus met him and said, what are you doing? And turned his life in a whole different direction. We're going to read the words of Philippians chapter 3 today. Here in the beginning of this, starting in verse 7, beforehand, Paul, he describes his religious passion. I'm doing all the right things. I come from the right family. I have the right schooling. I am the guy people want to be like. He describes how he has every reason to boast. But as you'll see here in a moment, he counts it all as garbage. Philippians chapter 3, if you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's page 1,223. If you have your own Bible or your phone, I don't know what page it's on, but follow along anyway. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. After describing that he has every reason to celebrate and boast of his own goodness, he writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is a man who had everything figured out. By all practical accounts, his life was moving in a really good direction and many people sought to emulate him. He says, look, but compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, none of it matters. I believe part of the challenge in learning to follow Jesus is few of us have ever seen Jesus in the eyes of the surpassing worth of knowing him. Often in our culture, Jesus is taught as this really good and fluffy and lighthearted guy who just loves us. We're like, this is great, but what if there's more? What if Jesus actually is who he said he is. God himself, the one who spoke the world into being, the one who created all things, the one who entered into flesh, that he might suffer and die. What if Jesus is more than a Sunday morning idea or a southern culture that we just throw around flippantly? What if he really is everything? Paul says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Everything else I count as rubbish. More accurately translated, we could change the word rubbish from instead of rubbish to more like a pile of poo. Everything I had before this moment is complete crap. None of it matters. Not one bit. I think for most of us, to see Jesus in this light is really, really difficult. Because for most of us, we've never seen or met people who see Jesus in this light. That nothing 
in this world or the next matters. But Jesus and Jesus alone. He is worth everything. Come, follow me. It's one thing to follow a guy who's pretty decent and pretty good. In fact, I have an Instagram account. I don't know if you guys know this. I have followers on my Instagram account. You want to know something really fun about my Instagram account? I haven't posted a single thing on it since 2011. And I still somehow have followers on Instagram. We live in a culture that believes following is just like, oh yeah, you're a cool dude. I'll follow you to support and celebrate. But when Jesus invited, come and follow me, he wasn't inviting them just to think he was pretty cool, but to be with him in such a way that they saw all of who he is. A God who would give everything in pursuit of one singular goal, redeeming and restoring his creation that we might be his forevermore. That death would be no more. That it would be swallowed up in victory and we could hope no matter what this life brings against us. Come, follow me. Paul, he continues, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, for Paul to follow Jesus was to see in Jesus a power that cannot be shaken, a love that is unconditional, a grace that we truly can never earn. That I, by any means possible, may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's difficult to read Paul's words without thinking that in some way he's striving after and earning and working towards the resurrection. See, we live in a culture that for 500 years has been so inundated with this idea of grace that I don't think most of us have ever actually seen what grace is. Grace is not purely the invitation to say, sit back, relax, do nothing, do whatever you want, sin however you want, it'll be fine. Grace is an invitation into something so much more. Your life was not made to simply watch the latest Netflix show. It was not made to know all the pop culture. Your life was not made to be filled as a rat race where you just run on the wheel over and over again until work eventually causes you to die. Your life was made that you could be with God, that you could be in his presence in all things, not just someday later when we die, not here today, that you could wake up this morning and know God is with me. And even better than that, God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is with me, what can stand and succeed? No trouble or pain or sorrow or anguish. Nothing will outlast my God. And you and I were made to live in that 
reality. That everything else doesn't really matter. Come, follow me. Not so that we can earn what is freely given. So we can have what's already ours. A life with a God who cares more than you'd ever begin to fathom. But for most of us, we don't get there. Why not? I think for most of us, the reason we don't experience this God, know this reality, live in this promise where everything else doesn't matter is because we've simply never been taught how we follow Jesus. Fuller Seminary did a big study about the life of faith and spirituality. How do people grow to be more spiritual, to find their center of meaning in their faith? What does this look like? And in this study, it was mostly of Christians, but included non-Christians as well. What does it look like to grow in faith? And they identified six key stages that usually happen in faith development. Stage one, recognition of God. How do we learn to follow God? Well, we begin to recognize there must be a God. Now, what spurs this recognition on can be a lot of different things. For some of it, it is growing up in a community of faith that from our earliest memories, God is good and real and present. For some of us, this recognition of God comes from reaching our own end where we realize the way I've been running and going isn't working. For some of us, this recognition of God comes after great pain and sorrow and hurt. But for all of us, there is a recognition that fills us with awe and wonder. Truly, God is. And then we fill in the blank. And usually, that truly God is, is a place of great discovery. In this first and earliest stage, we are filled with all kinds of excitement and passion. Perhaps you've met somebody who's brand new in faith and they're ready to take on the world. So just slow down for a moment. It's not always going to be this way. We all begin with a recognition of God and then we move into a life of discipleship. This second stage of growing with God, of following after him, is a life of learning, where we submit ourselves to a teacher, to an ideal, to a set of practices, and say, I want to soak up as much of this as I can. Sometimes the life of learning takes place independently on your own, looking at all the things you can find online and listening to every sermon and podcast. Sometimes it takes place under the leadership of a pastor or a church or a group of people who teach you about the God you've discovered. But we all, in this journey of faith, begin to become learners. What does this faith mean? Who is this God I have discovered how do I live with him? In this journey then, there is a season, the third stage of productivity, where our life begins to produce all kinds of good things. Maybe you've been here. You show up to church on Sunday, and you're not just showing up to church, you're showing up to Bible study, and you're not just showing up to Bible study, eventually you show up enough, they actually ask you to be in charge. Or they put you in charge of volunteering, and now you're stuck and you can't get away because you just keep volunteering because nobody else will. This life of productivity where all those really 
obvious sins begin to fade away, right? Like we all know it's really bad to cuss people out, at least out loud. What happens in your head? We can accept that as socially fine, right? And so there's really noticeable, visible things maybe in your life of faith begin to fall away and you visibly look different. The problem is for most of us, this life of productivity only gets us so far with God. And then something really big happens. And I would advocate and argue that everybody hits this place, but many of us simply turn back and run from it. And we think that the life of faith is just let's repeat these three cycles of faith. Let's just go back to recognizing God and being filled with awe. And so then we put ourselves in a new environment where we can be filled with the emotion of God. We seek a mountaintop experience. We try to do more things and show up to more places. We seek to stay in these three places because the next thing that happens, there's always a wall. Your life of learning and discipleship and producing for God will at some point come to a screeching halt. You and I can only produce so much. This is why the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these things are of the Spirit. God has to produce them in us. And all of our striving, all of our efforts, all of our work will eventually stop. Now, sometimes the wall in faith has nothing to do with the fact that you're stuck in faith. Sometimes it has to do with your faith hits an obstacle that shatters it. You're left with, now what? When you prayed for healing and somebody dies. When out of the blue a car accident takes a loved one. When a child dies. When you go through some kind of great trauma or pain. This wall in our faith for many of us, leaves us doing one of two things. I'm just going to run from God, or I'm going to just run back to these things I already know. If I just show up more often, this will go away. If I just volunteer harder, this will go away. If I just become more what everybody else expects of me, this hurt, confusion, anxiety, stress, pain, whatever that wall is, this too will go away. I think for most of us, The reason why Paul's words seem so ideal but so far off from reality, that we can count everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing God, for most of us, including pastors and church leaders, is because we try our best to do everything we can to avoid the wall. We try to go under it, we try to go over it, we try to go around it, but the truth of the matter is, your faith And learning to be with Jesus will only ever thrive when you come to a place of facing whatever that wall is head on and with God going through it. You see, when we go through that thing with God, the only outcome on the other side is learning to surrender. I can't, but he can. I won't ever, but he will. And it's only as we go through that wall with God that this next stage of our growth and development takes place, that of the inner journey, where we begin to look inward at all the hurt that for a long time we've ignored, all the anxiety and the fear that for a long time we've dismissed, all the things that are not right in us. 
And we begin piece by piece to lay them before God and say, I desperately need you to be the one who does whatever these things need. And it's only through that wall and through that place of hurt that we begin the inner journey that says it really is not about how much you show up and serve. It really is not about how much people think of you. It really is not about how great your life appears. It's all about a God who has given everything for you, for me. And that inward journey, that place of healing, that place of dealing with the pain we've been hiding for a long time, always, always with God, leads us to this next place, an outward journey. We begin to see the people around us in a place of hurting, in a place of desperately needing the same thing God is doing in us. We begin again to desire to participate in Bible study or volunteering or serving, but not because it's the thing we do, but because we're filled with a sense of awe and wonder and love for the people who need what we've already found. Martin Luther described the life of faith as one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Our journey with God, following him when we allow ourselves to not run from that wall of hurt or that obstacle that's holding us back, to just move into it with God and dive into the inner self will always lead us back to others. How do we love as Christ loved? Laying down our life for the sake of others. How do we give everything as he has given for us? How do we, like Paul, see that whatever may come, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus transcends all of it. And this leads us to the final stage in faith. The ultimate aim for every one of us a deep and meaningful life of love. This life of love is not exclusively for the other. It's a love of God. It's a love of yourself. It's a love of who God made you to be. It's a love of all of your mistakes and your failures, no longer wallowing in the shame and the guilt, but instead loving all that God has done in you and through you, all that he continues to do for you. It is a life of love that overflows in the world around you. When Jesus invited, come and follow me, this was his aim. That you and me would learn to be with him in such a way that whatever may come, he is worth it. Now the thing is with these stages, they're not all linear. It's not that we go through them and then we're done and we can check the box and move on. Our journey of following Jesus, because we continue to be broken and sinful and not yet fully who we're made to be, will often take us backwards. Will often take us back into these places of producing all kinds of fruit but really going nowhere of really diving in and learning and discovering, but finding ourselves plateaued going, I feel stuck. And the constant backwards motion is yet another invitation of Jesus. Come and follow me. That as we get back into that place, whatever it was when we hit yet another wall, 
He invites us in that place to go even deeper. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes the life of faith. Further up and further in. This is how we live. We just keep going further up into the goodness of God and further in to his love. And the more we go, the further back we can see just how far we were. You and I on this journey of faith are invited each and every day to not strive after the good things God has in store. To not find our hope in the work we've done thus far, but to continually come back to him. Lay everything down before him. Say, I don't know what's next, but you do. We are invited as we follow Jesus to see the the promise of the resurrection, the power of Christ as bigger than any obstacle or anxiety or stress or depression or burden we face. Say, God, will you sit with me in this pain that through it I can find more of who you are and less of me? I heard from somebody a few weeks ago something I thought was really profound. So the purpose of therapy is to build yourself up. Therapy is to teach you how to see in you who you can be, to grow in your self-confidence and worth and value, to set aside your anxiety and learn what to do when you're feeling depressed. Therapy is all about building you up. Being a pastor is all about helping you tear yourself down. Not saying you're a terrible, horrible person and nobody loves you. But to say, because now you see the worth that God has in you, the plans that he has for you, lay them all before him. That all of your life, in the little moments, in the big moments, in the mundane things, the everyday ordinary things, that everything about who you are can be aimed at one thing, the surpassing worth of knowing God, of knowing his power and his love and his goodness for you. So this then is what I encourage you. I encourage you then to press on in all things. To count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Paul, he continues, he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Wherever you are in your journey, maybe just beginning to recognize God in your life, just beginning to learn and pursue, just beginning to do the things that will produce some measure of fruit in you. Maybe you're in that place of hitting the wall going, I feel stuck. Like all the things I'm doing are empty and meaningless and going nowhere, spinning my wheels. Maybe you're in that place of self-reflection and questioning God. All the things I thought I held true seem to be crashing down. Now what? Maybe you're in that place where he's beginning to move you with a radical love for others. 
your family, your neighbors, your boss, your coworkers. Maybe you're in that place of just being overfilled in this moment with love. Wherever you are in this journey to follow Jesus, press on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't assume you've had enough for there's always something more that Jesus wants to do in you and me. Ultimately, that we might know even more just how good and faithful and loving he is. That he is worth everything. So press on. It'll be worth it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you teach us the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? That nothing else matters. Would you, in our place where we feel stuck, would you break through? Would you teach us how to lean into you in the times that are difficult, in the seasons that are hard, in the questions we cannot answer, in the burdens we bear? Teach us to do this with you. God, that we may be a community who is growing in faith deepening our love for you and our love for our neighbor, becoming people who live loved in all that we do. God, we ask you, give us the strength and the courage today, whatever tomorrow may bring, to press on, to know that what lies before us far exceeds what lies behind us. So may we go further up and further in for your glory. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Here in this place, we believe an offering is an invitation to join God in the work that he is doing in this place and through this place in the lives of others. And so if you came today prepared to make a gift, if you call this your church family, and you prefer to do so with cash or check, you can place that gift in the black offering boxes as you exit today. If you're somebody who filled out one of those teal cards that say connect at the top, we would love to be praying with you and be connecting with you. You can place that card in those boxes as well. And if you came prepared to give today and would like to do so electronically, you can give at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love because we already have it. Thank you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.